Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, you want to turn with me over to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to continue on in our series in the parables this morning. And this morning we're looking at the laborers in the vineyard. I was so encouraged this morning by seeing all the, the, the students up here this morning. And what struck me is that it's not just, and, and Tim, Tim spoke to this already, it's not just the, the, the students who have somehow made this decision to go on a trip and, and serve the Lord and to serve other people. It, it's really a, a product of, of, the, of the faith and the involvement and the prayer and investment of a body of believers. They didn't go on their own. This was something that the, the parents said, hey, we're going to make this happen. People in this church have invested financially. You know, there's, there's, uh, we did uh, the sale of, uh, of stuff in the basement. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that happened along with the prayers of everybody. And so it's not just a, like that's great for the students. This is, a, this is an evidence of the grace of God in our midst. This is an evidence that the Lord is at work and it's not just the students who get to benefit from it. We all benefit from the fact that we see this happen. As we see all the young people in this church, this is our hope that the grace of God continues to prevail to our children. And that one day they'd be standing before a congregation of people saying, God is faithful. I had an opportunity to serve the Lord. I think, man, amen. Let that be the testimony of all of our children whether it's in front of a group of people or just in their own home, that they would be able to say what a privilege it is to serve the Lord. Man, that is, that is a blessing. That is a blessing to all of us. Let us all be encouraged by that because we all had a part to play in this. They didn't go alone. When one goes, we all go. And so this is all of our blessing. This is all of our privilege to see the youth go on this, on this trip. So well done, families and those who've invested in, and tried well done. It is the grace of God, and it is visible, and it's awesome to see. So praise God for that. All right, so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 20. We're looking at verses 1 through 16 this morning. And as you turn there, as we get ready to talk about this, I'm just going to pray and and ask the Lord just to bless the preaching of His Word. So Lord Jesus, we come before You this morning. God, we we give thanks for those who who have labored amongst us, God, and Jake and his son, Jay, Lord, thank you so much for the blessing and deposit they've left with us, Lord. And I pray that you would bless them as they go out. God, thank you for the testimony of the youth here this morning. God, that we've got young people in our midst who are willing to say, Lord, send me. I'll go. And God, we pray now, Lord, as we, as we open your word, that you would give us, Lord, eyes to see and ears to hear. Jesus, we know that You are speaking this morning. That Your Holy Spirit is breathing life and bringing faith. God, just like we sung today, Lord Jesus, we ask for faith that as we hear Your Word, we'd receive it, Lord, with joy. Oh God, we do pray that You would produce a harvest of righteousness and obedience, Lord, and love for You as we, as we hear Your Word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Laborers in the vineyard. 
No doubt you've probably heard this parable at some point in time. It's it's a well-known parable. And the funny thing about the parables as I've been as we've been preaching through the parables this summer is that pretty much every parable as as we dig into that and as I have the privilege of having time during the week to dig in and and read different commentaries and pray and and, and wait on the Lord and and dig through these things. Almost every parable that I get to that we preach on, somewhere along the line, I read the fact that this they'll say, quote unquote, this is one of the most uh, misunderstood parables that Jesus ever taught. No one really gets this one right. I mean, that's what that's across the board. It's it's almost comical as I read through these parables, thinking, does anyone understand any parable ever? You know, it's like, how is this ever to be understood if this is the most misunderstood and misapplied parable that Jesus ever taught every single week? So hopefully that's not the case this morning. <laughs> All right. So as we turn here, we're going to talk about we're talking about wage inequality in some degree. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in, and undoubtedly you've heard in, in the news or, or whatever that for every dollar that a man earns, all right, a woman earns 80 cents for the same job, right? You've, you've probably heard that. It, it, it's a big thing in Hollywood now that the, the women in Hollywood are getting paid less than the men in Hollywood and, and what a big deal it is. So there's, a, there's these different fields and different ways that the women earn less, so let me just read a couple things here. For their part, about a quarter, about 27% of women say their gender has made it harder for them to succeed in life. In addition, in 2013, a Pew Research Center survey found that about one in five women say they have faced gender discrimination at work. That's a lot. One in five women has, have faced gender discrimination at work. That's an incredible number including 12% who say they have earned less than a man doing the same job because of their gender. This is, these women are our moms, our sisters, our wives, our daughters, our friends. And when you hear that, you think that is unbelievably unjust. It's unjust. It's not right. There's something inside of us it almost provokes something inside us to say, hey, look, why is that the case? This shouldn't be this way. This isn't right. This is unrighteous that's what's going on here. Someone, someone doing the exact same job as another person, but we're going to pay you less because you're a woman. And I think that provokes, that should provoke something in us to say, that's not right. That's unjust. There's a frustration that rises up within us. Now, as we look at the parable today, okay, as we look at the parable today, we've got some workers in the parable who are unhappy in some ways with the pay structure, okay? And so let's, let's look at Matthew chapter 19 before we get to 20, because 19 sets the context for chapter 20. And so context is so important. As, we, as you read God's Word, please take into account the, the context of what is being said, and where it's being said. So the context of this, the biblical context, as we look at Matthew chapter 19, leading into 20, is we have a, a rich young man that comes to Jesus. Right? This guy's, man, it sounds like he's really got it going on. And he comes to Jesus and says, what, what do I need to do to, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, here's the deal. Don't murder 
don't commit adultery, kind of lists these rules. And the guy's like, awesome. Man, I've done all, I've, I've followed all of those rules since I was a, a young boy. Man, I am good to go. And Jesus says, okay, great. One other thing. So all that you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. Now, when you really think about that, Jesus personally inviting this guy to come and, and follow him and, and walk with him and know him and, and be part of the group, man, what an amazing invitation. I mean, to really walk with Jesus Christ, I mean, all that's standing between you and Jesus Christ is some money. And we read that this guy, when the young man heard this, Right When he heard the invitation of Jesus, when he heard the, 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 the call to come follow him and to come walk with him and come know him, we read that this man, he says, the man heard this and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So instead of hearing this invitation, thinking, man, what an amazing opportunity I've been given by Jesus, he hangs his head, turns his back, and simply walks away. And Jesus then turns to the disciples and he says, I say to you, this is, say to you, only with difficulty will, will a rich person enter the kingdom. And the disciples, when hearing this, man, it says they're astonished. Because in their mind, right, where they were, where they were from and in their context, and it's much the same today, they view riches as something that man, this person's being blessed by God, God is prospering them, they must be doing something right. Because clearly God would not never bless someone who's doing something wrong. So God's clearly, His hand of blessing and His hand of, of favor is upon this person because they have great riches. And Jesus says, Jesus says, that's not the case. Not the case at all. It's actually, the money that this guy had is actually a stumbling block. It's actually preventing him from following me. It's not, it's not the hand of blessing of the Lord that's given him these great riches. In some ways, it's almost an obstacle from the Lord for this guy to follow me. And the disciples just are like, what are you talking about? And Jesus says, with, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So the, the disciples are like, well, if this guy can't follow you, Jesus, if this rich guy is unable to do this, then who can? And Jesus is like, with God, all things are possible. Okay, And then he moves on, going down to verse 30. And Jesus tells the disciples, he says, look, for those of you who've left home and finances and whatever else to follow me, I will provide for you richly. Don't worry about a thing. And then he goes on to say, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. That's in verse 30 of chapter 19. Okay, so... He gives, this, he gives this call to the disciples who are wondering about this situation with this young, rich ruler, why he walked away, why would it be such a challenge, why would Jesus make it so hard, why couldn't he just let him keep the money and kind of finance Jesus' work along the way. I mean, it's great to have like a heavy hitter in your, in your camp so that you can really, if you need something, you can just call this guy over and say, hey, can you fund this thing for me? Right? He doesn't do that at all. The disciples are wondering, what's the deal with this? Jesus says, many who are first will be last, and the last first. Okay, that's, that's the end of chapter 19, leading into 20. But you also have to look at the last of our 
in the verse 16 of chapter 20 now. Okay, so this is the, these are the two sandwiches that we're going to read between. Okay, so verse 16 of chapter 20, after we read a parable, it says, Jesus says this, so the last will be first and the first last. Okay, so those are the two, that's the context now. He's, just, he's getting to a point here, okay? All right. Now, I also want to just give us the, a bit of a cultural context. Sorry, I'm kind of slow taking off here, but the cultural context as well is, is also, I believe, helpful. So in Palestine, they have a grape harvest, okay? And the grape harvest is in late August, early September. Now, in the middle of September, you've got torrential rains, and so what you need to do is you need it when those grapes become ripe, you need all hands on deck to, to harvest the grapes, okay? This is like December 23rd at UPS, all right? We, we've got some work to do, and there's, the clock is ticking, and we've got to get this job done. And so as we read through this parable, keep in mind that, man, the laborers, we need laborers, we need all, if you are available and you are willing to work, there is a job for you to do. Okay, there's always work to do. On top of that, okay, the workers would get paid at the end of the day. That was customary because the workers lived at the brink of poverty. The, the day laborers in, in this point in time lived at the brink of poverty. There wasn't, there wasn't a large middle class, okay? You were either wealthy or you were like really poor. And so Jewish law held that if someone worked for you, at the end of that day, you must give them their pay. Don't withhold their pay because they need every penny of what they got to survive. And so you would, you're not going to get a check at the end of two weeks. This is something that, look, at the end of every day, you get paid. So what Jesus is talking about here is a very typical situation, okay? All right. We're going to dig into this, but one other thing, okay? Sorry. The Jewish workday started at 6 a.m., ended at 6 p.m. Okay, and so as we read in here, we read about someone going out at the beginning of the day and hiring some guys. And then, then he talks about going out at the third hour. So what would the third hour of the day be? Nine o'clock. Then it says he goes out at the sixth hour, which would be noon, right? So on and on, you guys can figure the rest out. So 11th, the 11th hour would be five o'clock. End of the day, you got an hour left. Okay, so that was the work day. All right, you guys ready? All right, sorry for that long delay. I just wanted to, I think it's important as we read through this that this, this stuff actually happens, okay? This isn't just made up stuff that Jesus is given. This is actually, this is really what's going on. Chapter 20, verse, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for, a, for denarius a day, which was the typical pay, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour, about noon, and the ninth hour, three o'clock, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, at five o'clock, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into my vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Verse 9. 
And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Like, wow, that was awesome. Now, when those hired first came, they, they thought they would receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. So here they're watching these guys who just showed up late get paid for a full day's wage, and they think to themselves, man, this is awesome because we're going to hit, we hit like pay dirt here. We're going to get tons of money because these guys got so much. And then receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I have chose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. All right, I just wanted to share with us a couple of, of ideas for us as we read through this parable. When I was in college, there was a period of time where I would get hives, right? And if you've ever eaten something and you, you would get hives, it, it's a, it is a terrible experience. And I would, I don't, I'm, we're not quite sure exactly what it was, but I would eat something and I'd feel my throat begin to close up. I'd get like, like a rash or a hive like on my back and my neck and my face. I mean, it would just, it would itch and it's hot and it's, it's just, you're miserable because you, there's really not much, you, can, you can't go to class or go out in public and hang out with people with like your face all like full of hives and, you know, just sweaty and itchy and, and hot and stuff. You can't do that, right? People are going to call the paramedics or something because they think you're dying. Well, I'd get that every once in a while. And it, don't worry, it hasn't happened in a long time, and who knows what it's from, but I remember in those moments, right, with the hives, which is sitting there just thinking to myself, what am I going to do? I've got class, or I've got work, or whatever, and I'm sitting here just miserable with my throat slowly closing, um, like, God, what's going on here? And so what I would do in those moments, oftentimes, is I would begin to make deals with the Lord, okay? I would say, God... Lord, if, if you would just take away these hives, if you, I know you can. I know you can heal the hives. I know you can take them away. Just give the word. You know, you've, you've restored arms and brought people to life. And you've, you know, you've walked on water. You've done all these things at just your word. I know if you just say the word, the hives are gone and I can get on with life. I promise you, Lord, I promise. Here's what I'm going to do. If you heal me, I will, I, I will, I swear I'll be at church every week for the rest of the year. You know what? Okay, so that didn't work, right? So 30 minutes later, the hives are still there. Okay, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'll, if you take away the hives, because I know you can, if you take away the hives, I'll read my Bible for 30 minutes every day. I mean, I'll do, I will, I mean, I'm going to be in your word. I mean, I'm going to be studying hard, right? 30 minutes every day, I promise I will do that if you can heal my hives. So here I sit trying to make deals with the Lord. As if somehow my reading the Bible for 30 minutes every day would then obligate the Lord to bring healing to me. 
Or maybe me, hey, look, I'll be at church every week. I'll be a good person. I'll be at church. I'll show up on time like the other half of the church that doesn't. I'll show up on time. I promise. And I'll be there every week. And then doing that would somehow then require God to do something for me. Right? I'm making a deal with the Lord. But here's my first point. That God owes no man or woman. God is not obligated to anybody. And it's sometimes hard to hear because it's humbling. Right? The vineyard workers... They saw the, the, the first, the, you know, the, the guys who, just, who had just showed up, who had been there for an hour, they saw these guys getting paid the, the full day's wage. And when it got to them, they thought, man, this is great because, because we've, we've borne the burden of the day. I mean, these guys showed up at the end of the day when things are a little bit cooler, when there was most of the workers probably, you know, wrapping up and maybe they just kind of, you know, tied some loose ends up. And we bore the burden of the day. We were in the scorching heat. I mean, that's what we did all day long. So surely, you're obligated to give us more than what we agreed to. And they come to the Master with that expectation. And when that expectation isn't met, what do they do? They grumble. They complain. Man, you, you could pay me more. I mean, if, you, if you're giving these guys that much money... You're, you're going you're gonna to stiff me for, for what I've done? I mean, give me a break. I mean, surely, you, you, I know you've got a bunch, and you've got foremen working for you, and you're hiring laborers all day long, man. I know you've got some money, and you're withholding it from me. That's wrong. You're wrong. How could you do that to me? I think it, sometimes when, as I was engaging with the Lord in those and at that time, and, and, and if we think back to our lives, we've all done that, haven't we? Haven't we all done that, Lord? If, if you would just do this for me, man, I'll do this for you. Somewhere along the lines, we, we make deals with the Lord. God, if you would just do this, man, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. But God owes no one. See, the way that our capitalistic economy works, you get paid for what you produce, you stay put for long enough time, you get seniority, with that comes with perks, you get promotions, you get pay increases. This, this is the system that we live in. We live in the system. So that's, that's how our workplaces operate. But the reality is God doesn't live in a capitalistic economy. God is his own economy. He does as he pleases when he pleases. Sometimes we look at that and we think that's not fair, right? Why does that guy get paid more than I do? Or why is that guy healthy and I'm not? Why does that guy have why 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 are the why are their kids following the Lord and my kids aren't? Why do why do they get to go on the missions trip and we couldn't afford to go? And we start we we come before the Lord. We think God, well, but I've been serving you all this time and. Why is this, this got to take place? God never operates that way. Because God is, in, is not obligated to anybody. He is, his own, he is His own economy. He does as He pleases. You look at the Bible, you think, man, there's some stories in the Bible that just leaves you scratching your head sometimes. 
just like these workers were scratching their head when they left that day. Man, those guys that got paid the, the full day's wage for an hour probably left scratching their head. They probably thought, man, how did I get a full day's wage for an hour worth of work? I think a couple of examples in the Bible. Moses and Aaron and Miriam in the Bible. Moses leads the Israelites through and his brother Aaron is the high priest and Miriam's a bit of like a prophetess and she's helping alongside Moses. And it's unbelievable to me when I think about Aaron. Because Aaron, who, when Moses goes up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and no one really knows what's going on, the people, Israelites, go to Aaron. What do they ask Aaron to do? Right? Will you make us a, a golden calf? We want to worship a golden statue and then declare that this golden calf is what delivered us out of Egypt after they just saw all the, the miracles and the, the plagues and everything else that took place. They saw all that and they said, well, Moses isn't coming down, so what we want you to do, Aaron, is would you please make us a golden statue so we can worship that, right? So what does Aaron do? Aaron's like, sure, just bring me your gold and I'll do it. He does, makes him a golden calf. Unbelievable. What was God's punishment for Aaron? Nothing that we see. He gets off the hook. There's another time when, when, when Aaron and Miriam are angry at Moses because Moses seemingly has special favor with the Lord. Right? So they're, they, they're like, Moses, Aaron and Miriam are like, man, this isn't right. God speaks to us too, not just Moses. We want kind of a fair share of this leadership responsibility. We think, you know... And so Moses is like, man, let's go to the Lord. God says, separate, you know, separate you guys out. And God says, God punishes Miriam. He says, look, I'm going to give you leprosy for a week. And you have to stay outside the camp. Right? Aaron did the exact same thing Miriam did. What, what happened to Aaron? Nothing. The dude gets off the hook every time. Like, that's not fair. Right? Miriam... Man, she, she had it rough for a week. She had to stay outside the camp with leprosy. The Israelites, they, they were punished. Aaron gets off the hook every time. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. We look at the book of Job. Job experiences this the most incredible loss of his children, his property, everything. In the middle of all of that, Job chapter 1, it's, he says, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Man, what a perspective. God doesn't owe me anything. He's not obligated to somehow give me exactly what I want when I want it. Completely trust the Lord. The temptation for us is that after we've been serving God for any period of time, right, after we've been serving the Lord, we've been following God for any period of time, to think that we're owed something by God. I'm not saying we all do this, but that creeps in. That creeps into us. We, after we've been serving God for any period of time, even though we'd never maybe say it out loud, like, God, you owe me this, it doesn't work out for us. We get angry. I've been tithing all these years, and I lose my job. Or I've, I've trusted God with my finances, and, and my, my work situation didn't quite pan out the way I thought it would. I've been working so hard and serving people at church all the time, and I'm the one who gets sick. God, don't you really care about me? 
the reality is that God owes no man. And what this does for us, even though it sounds a bit negative towards us, it humbles us. Because it puts us in a rightful place before the Lord. Man, we are simply servants of the Lord who stand before God with open hands and say, God, whatever you would give to me is a gift of grace. Whatever it is that you have for me is a gift of mercy and of grace and of love. Whether that is extreme riches or even sometimes poverty, God, you are enough. And whatever you have for me is enough. All right, number two. Number two. We see that God cares for and loves all people. Okay? I was talking to a friend this week who hired two guys from a, a, a temp agency, and he hires two guys with this job for the day, and he works this he works his job, and what the one guy shows up and the other guy doesn't. Okay? So they begin to work, and he calls the temp agency and says, hey, I need another guy out here for this job. It's a three-man job, but only one guy showed up, and I need another guy. And so they eventually send someone, but it's a couple hours later. Now, the agreement that he has with the temp agency is that he has to pay a minimum of a four-hour day to someone who shows up. So they end up working five hours with the one guy who showed up first, and the other guy shows up and he works for two hours. But since he has to get paid for four after working two, he gets four hours of work even though he only had two hours of work to do. And the guy who worked five hours got paid for five hours. Right? Now, you'd think that the guy that worked five who got paid for five and agreed to work for so much money for the five hours would be great. I got paid for five, whatever. He's upset. Right? Why? Because he's a buddy that just showed up, this guy that just showed up for two hours got paid four hours. And I had to work for five hours to get paid for five hours. And the guy that showed up and only was able to work two hours is upset as well. Because he wanted to work a full day. But he could only work for two hours. So nobody's happy. All the workers are upset at the boss, right? This isn't fair. I didn't get paid enough. or I didn't have, You didn't have enough work for me. No one's happy. But in this, in this story, and even in the work, the reality is, it is a, what, it is, it's a provision of kindness and mercy that this guy would offer these guys who are looking for work, employment. He's caring for them. He's allowing them to, to raise an income to provide food and, and clothes and a shelter and all those kinds of things. Like, that, that's, that's kindness. In Matthew 19, or Matthew 20, verses 6 and 7, the master hires the guys for an hour and pays them a full day's wage. That's unbelievable kindness and mercy and grace, isn't it? You think about it. They've worked one hour. And the end of the day, things have cooled off. It's not the heat of the day anymore. Probably most of the burden of the day has been, has been gone. And you look at this and you think, this is terrible business practice all right terrible if someone did this today this would this would bank sooner or later bankrupt your company okay no employer would ever do this kind of thing first off it would it's a foolish use of money it's a foolish use of money to pay someone who worked an hour pay pay give them full day pay 
Second thing you do is you risk upsetting the full-time employees, right? By, by paying these guys who showed up last full-time wages, you upset the guys who've been there all day long, which is exactly what happens. And third, it sets a terrible precedent for everyone else, right? Who's waiting for the guy at 6 a.m. the next day? Nobody, right? Who's there at 5 o'clock? The entire town, right? I mean, that's what's, that's what's going to happen the next day. It's a terrible precedent to set. No one's going to be there at 6 a.m. Everyone's going to be there at 5 a.m. waiting for the guy to show up. But the master in this parable is more concerned about people than he is about profit. That's his concern for people, not profit. In the same way, the love and grace of God is completely unexpected and it's lavish. It's lavish. Think about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. That Jesus Christ gave Himself for us. That our sins would be completely forgiven. Past, present, and future. Washed clean. Given His righteousness. Clothed in His goodness, in His faithfulness, in His righteousness. Declared forgiven before God. Filled with His Holy Spirit. Called by His name. Brought into His family. Jesus Christ offers that to us. It is lavish. It is unexpected. Look in the Bible at John 8, the woman who's caught in the act of adultery. Jesus could have easily brought the hammer down on this lady. What does He do? Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Forgiven. Or the thief on the cross who's being crucified next to Jesus Christ. What an incredible story this is. The guy is getting, he's being crucified for what he's done. He's committed capital crimes, a capital offense. He's worthy of the death sentence. He's hanging on a cross next to Jesus. And in his, maybe his last moment, his last minutes of life, after whatever he's done throughout his entire life, he looks over at Jesus who's next to him and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And in a moment, Jesus Christ looks at him and says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Sweeter words have never been spoken. What a, what a picture of mercy and grace at the most unexpected time. You don't expect within a man's last breath to be concerned for the person next to them. But here Jesus Christ is offering forgiveness and mercy, and life to a guy who's lived his entire life apart from Jesus. That's unexpected. That is lavish. Jesus could have easily looked over and said, you know what? Too bad. You're getting what you deserve. And Jesus saying that, what, that would have been true. But instead he looks over and offers forgiveness. So what has your week, or month, or year, what has that been like? The invitation to come to Jesus, whether you've been sitting here your whole life at church or growing up in church or remember going to Sunday school as a child and, or whether you've been here for an hour and you've just shown up, the invitation to come to Jesus is still the same. His grace is sufficient. And it is not 
It is not because it's not because that you've had a good week or that you've labored hard in the fields under the scorching heat and the burden of the day or you've just shown up. His invitation of grace and mercy to us is still the same. This is so important for us to realize, to, to, to get a hold of. We live in such a world that is based that you're rewarded for what you do. In God's economy, His grace overpowers that. It says you're, you're blessed, you're forgiven, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. That is our hope. That is our only hope. Even if we've borne the burden of the day, our hope is in Jesus. Even if we've shown up at the last minute, our hope is still the same. It's in Jesus. I want to invite us this morning as we pray, as we celebrate communion together, that we would give thanks, that this would fuel for us a worship and a gratitude and a love for God. As we think about, as we ponder and consider that God, regardless of what I've done this week, this year, this month, my life, Lord, regardless of any of those things, your grace is sufficient. And even if I can't comprehend the depths of it, Lord, I will trust you. I will believe you. I will receive your forgiveness and your invitation to draw near. So God, we pray this morning, Lord, that whether we've been here our whole lives and borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat, God, or we've just shown up, Jesus, your grace is sufficient. Lord, we receive your gift of life and relationship and forgiveness and, and, and wholeness, God. And Lord, we worship you. Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you call us friend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.